Hello, it's Shelley F. Knight, bringing you Positive Changes, a self-kick podcast. we're joined by Ian Ward so hello to Ian very nice to be on thanks for having me I've got the giggles already so I'm not even sure how to (laughs) phrase this but Ian please share with us your story of positive change so um oh I could look at it as a a literal uh positive which was a, a a positive test in a prognosis for cancer but I think more towards the um the method of looking at it is that most people have told me that I have taken a, a better objective look at my scenario or my situation than most people would. Uh, but I actually don't think most people think of things uh, so negatively as uh, when they get given poor news. They kind of just go, oh, well, let's let's get on with it. But what I tried to do is, um, well, what I'm trying to do is to think, all right, most people when they're young and they get cancer, they can end up doing some really cool things because people kind of just sort of give them a bit of a golden ticket. So I decided, all right, well, maybe I could break a world record in raising money for charity and at least leave that uh, sort of as a, a legacy behind me. And so far it's been, um, it's been going all right. It's too early to tell though. I don't think it's ever going to be not too early to tell until like you know the marathon actually comes around and there's enough people watching it that ah it's it's got to be too up in the air i'm going to be running and i will not have raised enough money and by the end i might have raised twice as much i don't know how it's going to go bless you so your positive change is that you're you're 31 yes and you've been diagnosed with brain cancer yep and the prognosis what are we talking so the prognosis is a funny one in a way because um, on paper, the, the information that the doctors have where it's someone who is asymptomatic, meaning that they don't give off any sim- uh, sim- symptoms um, and then they get a test, it usually comes from someone who's twice my age because when you're you know 62 and you're coming into the retirement years, that's the sort of time where you'll think, I might get a random check on, you know, X kind of uh, disease, Y kind of disease, Z kind of disease. And then sometimes they do come back with, oh, well, you made a right call because you do actually have a tumor here, even though you didn't feel it. Whereas I got mine discovered because uh, I've done medical trials for ever since I moved to London. I did medical trials just because they're dead handy and uh, no pun intended. And um, uh <laughs> they helped you with money for very little effort and you're ended up ending up doing um help for certain diseases i'm not going to make myself out to be a saint like that's why i went in but it's still a nice thing to think of that like you're taking my blood and this might help uh get a vaccine for hiv which is one of the things that i did and um they always do advanced um levels of uh medical tests on you depending on what sort of drugs they are giving so in my previous medical trial they actually ended up it was um something for sleep and so 
they tested us, uh, our, they gave us CT scans, lots and lots of CT scans, uh, which detect your brain waves. And nothing actually got detected. And then the next uh, trial that I was going through, which I ended up doing because my manager was a, a, not a pleasant man, let's just leave it at that, <laughs> and ended up uh, uh, cutting shifts off. So I had to make up both. I had extra time and need of, uh, need of cash. So I went back in for another medical trial. They were doing something on a schizophrenia medication and they needed to be doing it with someone uh, as a control uh, with zero issues. So they gave me an MRI scan, which is a far more advanced scan than a CT scan. And they said, you, we can't actually take you onto the trial because you've got a tumor. And because I was asymptomatic, they said, don't worry too much about this. This looks benign. This doesn't look like it's actually going to make too much of a difference on your life. You might have to do some testing before you, uh, you go uh, driving and you won't be able to do this, this, this. Not, not big deals. So I was more annoyed being like, and, uh, and can I get on the trial? And they were like, uh, no, it still is a very serious medical condition that you're going to have to deal with. And I was like, ah, good money, man. And, um, then uh, COVID also happened at a kind of an awkward time. And so it was a little bit extended. I was meant to go in, say, about a month after the, uh, the testing and go into COVID uh, or I'm going from my second um, test with like the, they insert a, a radio, radioactive dye, I think, or an irradiated dye. Uh, and you're able to see uh, more clearly what's going on. So they gave that the second time around. And then they said, here's the first image, here's the second. It doesn't look like it's much larger, but that actually is significantly larger. Um, because if you can imagine the way a planet would grow, to cover, to extend a mile out on a planet is actually quite a lot because the circle is larger to cover, so more surface area is needed. And so it's the same with a tumor, that more surface area is needed around it. Now, it was actually more like a... Um, tissue being converted rather than say a grape growing so they were saying this will require brain surgery and um, and what we'll do is we will long story short you'll have to be awake because it's affecting the area of speech so almost all brain surgery is done as awake surgery they say that it doesn't hurt because your brain doesn't have any um nervous tissue so you can't feel it but they kind of avoid the point where it's like, we still have to cut open your head and, <laughs> and like drill a piece of your skull out, which <laughs> it, is, it is painful in a way, but it's more just like, oh, oh, that you can hear certain oh. sounds. And you're just like, oh, like I, I sang a song to myself uh, the whole way through, just like, keep saying this, you'll hear it less if you, if you keep singing a song. And um uh, so that wasn't uh, the worst thing uh, in the world. It probably was the most annoying experience I've ever had to go through. But there have been, been worse hangovers. And, um, <laughs> so we got through that. And uh, the thing that was most worrying about was because I'm right-handed, my left temporal lobe affects my speech. If I was left-handed, it would be different. It affects my, um, my speech, my sight, and... Uh, to a third degree uh, balance. So I was here being like, I don't want to lose any of them things really. <laughs> like 
everything I'm, I do is based around uh, making people laugh or playing sports. And if you're blind and can't talk, you're not going to be good to either of them. So I was just trying to not think about it. And then once the surgery was completed, uh, they said that it would take six months to make a recovery, six months to a year based off of how I was speaking during the surgery. And it was done in six days. So that was terrific news. But the day that they told me, uh, congratulations, six days is incredible. We've done the biopsy on the tumor that we took out. And it turns out that it's not benign at all. It's uh, stage three, something called a glastoblioma. Um, I always mispronounce that. <laughs> and um, so they were saying that's actually like you were going to have to t t do a chemotherapy and radiotherapy anyway, but now it's just sort of, you've got more to worry about essentially. So uh, you, you have to ask the question. You're never told the question. It's not like in the films, but the way the doctor was talking, I was kind of like, this doesn't sound like this is going to last long. Like you're not involving like your retirement in this sort of thing. So I'm going to, so how long do I have on paper? And he's like, yeah, we never liked saying this because it's all information that's all over the place. Some people could last six months, which I think I've passed now. No, not quite. I'd have to get to Christmas. And then some people could last six years. Uh, but if you get to two, you're more likely to get to six. But you're not twice your age. And you've, even though they're not related, they're correlated. You did repair your brain within six days when we were predicting that the minimum was going to be six months. So <laughs> it was just this sort of thing. So I was sitting there kind of thinking like, all right, so it's, I basically live like most people live where they don't know when it's going to happen, but it's going to happen. Like I'm not an immortal demigod character. <laughs> and he's just like, yeah, like you gotta, you gotta do some more. Um, you gotta take some medications. You gotta do some, uh, some of this and some of that. And so I was there like, all right, so this could go terribly wrong or it could be absolutely fine, which is just sort of, <laughs> a risk of elevated anxiety as the way I saw it. And between when I had the surgery and when I got the prognosis, uh, the Macmillan Cancer Society was already uh, giving me money to help get by. And as my speech started getting back radically quickly, I had already had a, a small YouTube channel uh, based around video gaming and making cocktails. And I then thought, all right, well, it's very easy to make donations off of video gaming because people do these things called um, live streams. And it's like, oh, I achieved, I beat that level in a minute, donate. You know, you do something fun uh, on the telly. It's kind of like a, a very toned down version of Live Aid, a very toned down <laughs> version. You're trying to be entertaining and then someone gives money at certain points. And so I had already had it uh, on my mind to do something for charity. And then when I got the, the negative news, I just thought, oh, well, I may as well crank it up to 11, seeing as how the news has been cranked up. And then so I started looking up um, what would be the, the easiest way that came, sprung to mind was, um, well, if I have cancer, uh, it's gonna sound cool if I do something <laughs> physical. So let's look up a marathon because that's always associated with, uh, with cancer and, um, or with charitable, uh, charitable giving, I should say. And I had done marathons before, so I thought this isn't going to be um, too much of an inexperience for me. 
And so I looked it up and it was just sort of straight away. This is very fitting. The person who holds the record, he did it in uh, London himself. That's where I live. Uh, as the jersey would suggest, I'm not originally from here, but um, uh, yeah, so I was like, ah, oh, well, that's perfect. I don't really need to go much further in looking ways to raise the money for the charity. It's, it seemed not like an easy amount of money, but an achievable amount of money. And um, atop that, if you are doing a marathon, you can get a world record quite easily. I know it sounds silly, but you can get a world record quite easily by simply dressing up as something. So, yeah, they they allow this bizarre uh, thing. I think it's just to help raise more charity. It's like, why not? Why not um, make all these silly world records? And it's basically, if you run a marathon dressed as something, and you can be as open as you want. As an example, um, you can go as a human organ and you can hold a world record, but you can choose the organ. So if you go dressed as a kidney and you run the marathon in four hours and that breaks the world record, you get, okay, you're the fastest kidney. But if someone <laughs> breaks that record and then you're like, all right, well, what else is there? Uh, oh, I could go as the pancreas. The pancreas, the world's record is five hours. So if I just run again for four hours, I'll hold my record again. So you can go through every single organ and as long as you are, some of them are incredibly difficult to get. Some of them are like people set a very high standard. But uh, there's, if you just keep looking around, you could find, if you're just willing to dress as anything, you can find something, a bee, and go <laughs> running as that. And if you can run it fast enough, you can hold your own world record. So seeing as how I had been doing my video, uh, my YouTube channel on video gaming, I thought, I'll let's see what a video game character is like and again this is the first character that i i or record dressed as something that i looked up just because i thought it was fitting and similar to the amount of money that needed to be raised i sat there looking at it and i was like this is both the right level of difficult and the right level of just about achievable that i think i'll go for this so i didn't have to like think very hard or very long until I came up with this idea. I just sort of like first one. Yeah, that'll do. Second one. Yeah, that'll do. All right. I'll do that one. <laughs> Off I go. So uh, dare I ask what you're going to run a marathon as, Ian? So it's a video game character, but I don't, I'm going to leave it up to the audience. So the whole concept of what I'm trying to do is raise a large audience and then a large audience will bring in large funding. That's what my um, sort of attitude is. So if, if you're interested, uh, you can find all the ways to uh, join into the audience on a, a website that I got the, um, what would you call it? The, the rights to, and it's just cure cancer or die trying.com. So I'm glad you get the irony of it. A lot of people haven't. <laughs> and um <laughs> Yeah, there's like a Twitter, there's a there's a Facebook, there's a there's a YouTube, and it's just grab um grab whichever one is most uh, suitable to yourself, and then at certain points I'll be asking people, hey, I'm doing on Thanksgiving, for example, because it's um the charity is being ran through a website called um uh what is it just justgiving.com, so it works through Just Giving, so I'm running a marathon sort of one mile a little over a mile every hour for 24 hours 
through uh, Thanksgiving because I thought it'd be funny for the American market. And um, so I'm calling it thanks and then in brackets, just close brackets, giving charity. Yeah. <laughs> Not <without>. Genius. <laughs> They scooped out some of it, but I kept it. Still the there, still thing. there. Yeah. <laughs> so you have such a lovely way about you. You're so positive and humorous, and you've got an Irish accent, so I'm happy. But <laughs> for many people, like when they get a diagnosis, it's just that they just stop. Their life just stops. I don't know if you know, but my background is end-of-life nursing. I was a chemotherapy nurse for many years. And so good old Elizabeth Kubler-Ross spoke about, you know, the five stages of grief. And I don't think it always applies when like, someone's died and then you have it, but her original research was done, wasn't it, on terminally ill people, people who had to face their own ending as such. Yeah. So she spoke of like, um, I can't remember now from my nursing days, denial, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance. Have you? Yeah, I think most any people of those? Of my generation would know that from The Simpsons. <laughs> oh, okay. There you go. So, <laughs> who needs <laughs> a nursing degree? <laughs> So have you been on any of these stages? Like, or have you just been happy bunny, golden, because you said about the golden tickets. Have you just been like, time is precious, I'm going to go for it. Or have you had like anger, bargaining? Not really. But then I think I am in a unique place because why, uh, while I have been told by doctors, this is not good, I haven't felt any of it. So I had no symptoms before my the damage that could be done within a, from the brain surgery was resolved very quickly and also um even in the in the short six days where it took to fully recover the way you lose speech um from surgery it actually it, it comes in waves so you'll have two hours where you're not able to speak in the most bizarre way you'll ever experience, but you'll be able to do everything else. And then two hours later, you'll be back to fine with everything. So I could have, and I had regular conversations with all sorts of people all the time, uh, saying complicated words and no issue. And then it would go back to, I went to the um, St. George's Hospital in, uh, in, in Tooting, and a neurological nurse would come in and do the tests, you know, uh, every four hours and would come in. And at one point I had my laptop and I was playing a video game, a video game that was quite complicated to play. It was like a chess, but sort of a live version of chess. And um, so I was playing that. The nurse comes over and goes, how are you? I'm, yeah, fine. And then she goes, uh, what's your name? Ian Ward, where are you? And I go, Oh, um, <laughs> and I was here and I had, it took so long and it's really frustrating because the nurses are always very patient. They don't feed it to you because that's the whole part of the question. But, um, I was here like, it's a, it's a, it's a hostel, but it's for the sick. I couldn't actually say the word hospital and I couldn't say St. George's and I live in Tooting. So it's <laughs> like, it's not far and it's never been far from my thoughts. So it took so long. And then I was here like, oh God. And then went back to playing my, my chess and I was fine, absolutely fine. So like your brain is so um, compartmentalized that 
damage to one bit just will not affect another part. It's not like, um, I don't know, um, like it's not like getting drunk where several things are all uh, put down and they, it, loads of things don't work at the same time. This is just one little thing that doesn't quite work right. So it's, it's very strange. And so once I never felt ups, too upset over it because even while it was really bad, I kind of knew this will pass fairly quickly. Like um, my mom was overseeing me at one point and we were watching a film and I was just looking at the screen and then I realized I have no idea what anyone is saying. And so I just got up and was like, mom, I'm just going to like go lie down for a couple of hours and I'll come back in. And I did that exact thing, came back in and then everything made sense. So when you kind of know this will pass, it's not too depressing because it's not going to last long. And the same thing with the, like the, the negative effects of all the symptoms that I've had recently were all from taking um, chemo medication and taking radiotherapy. And so they said, like, I, I, I kind of keep my hair cut tight so you can't see it too much, but you can probably see there's a patch there of hair loss. They said, yeah, that should grow back. So this is the worst thing that happens on a regular basis is me just looking and being like, oh, that looks stupid. <laughs> and um, but if it's going to pass in six months it's like alright well you can tolerate six months of not being able to do that and the the fatigue and the issue with uh, with diet they said the same thing both of them will pass uh, particularly because you're young and one of the things that we ask for people doing um, uh, chemo medication is to keep fit and your problem is the opposite. It's like, we want you to not run as much as you are. You should calm it down a bit. Um, because I was seeing it as an opportunity to be make a novelty of it where it's like, I'm doing chemo medication <laughs> and I'm running a marathon a day. And they were like, yeah, don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. That's not good for you. So it's all these sort of things that are not affecting me. So it's difficult to get upset about something that isn't there. Whereas if every day I felt something diminish, I think I could 100% um, fall into, you know, the anger, the depression and the other three. But I guess I have, I might be in some sort of super denial of the whole situation. <laughs> That's very honest. <laughs> yeah. Bless you. You said, you said something really powerful earlier. You said like, we're all dying, but we don't all know our expiry date. So what's mm. the biggest, because you have that awareness, you know, there's a finish line, both in the marathon and in life, obviously. So you speak about a golden ticket. What is the biggest difference in your life before diagnosis and now? Not a huge, a lot other than um, in a way it like something that was, I wouldn't say causing me depression, but something that was uh, causing a sort of feeling of, what's the point in getting up today? Like I, I was never really a hugely depressive person, but like sort of felt like it, there wasn't a, a huge purpose. Like I would watch, um, there's a brilliant Netflix show called uh, The Defiant Ones. And uh, one of the people involved is Dr. Dre. And so Dr. Dre, very early in, in his life, he was like, music, nothing else, music. I don't, I will not do this. I will not do that. It is just music. And he sort of, 
tells it like it's a it's a negative thing. And I'm like, you know, and he comes from Compton, you know, very underprivileged part. I come from Clontarf, like polar opposites, absolute polar opposites. And in a way, um, like this may sound like I'm a privileged ponce, but like I would look at him and be like, I wish I had that. I wish I had from a child, do this, do this, nothing else, laser focused. And it was always sort of dipping my finger in this. And it's like, nah, I don't like that. Dipping my finger in that. Ah, I don't like this. And then dip my finger in this and be like, this is okay. It's better than the other two, I guess. But in a way, after the diagnosis, it's both giving me like a, an open door to do certain things and to have a momentum that will naturally come with it. Um, and a set goal that could be set and a lot of pressure is then put on that. So I now have the opposite feeling um, every day where it's more pressure to, you need to be busy right now. If you're going to achieve that thing, you need to be working right now every single day. There's never a time where you can just take 100% day off. You've always got to do some little thing. You've got to get a camera out and document that you're feeling awful. And it's like, I'm taking a day off here. <laughs> but it's like, in doing so, I'm not taking a day off. So like always find something that is um, making a positive impact for the end goal. And whether it's achieved by 2022 or not, um, what happens next is going to be directly related to what happened before. So it will either be, okay, I didn't raise enough money, so I'm just going to try again next year. And I'm going to keep doing that until I get that... Um, the, the finalized amount of money. And then if that's achieved, well, I'll have an audience of people that like giving money to charities. So I'll look for another charity of <laughs> some other different kind. I'll have, I'll have a reason to get up every day because I love weird, challenging projects. I've always been doing them my entire life for no reason other than I'm going to do this because I have the ability to do it. So why not? Like f fasting, I tried to fast for a week before just to see could I do it and that sort of thing. So if I could do that same sort of thing, but now have um, not so much, what I'm doing is a novelty, but it is for something of significant meaning. I think that's a terrific way to be able to live a life. Do something stupid and you're helping millions. <laughs> it's justifiable, isn't it? <laughs> it's quite justifiable, yeah. yeah. I'm, again, I'm not trying to make out like, I'm a giant saint and this is like, you know, oh, I need to help the kids. Like, you know, I'm, I'm not that much of a, <laughs> a, a really, you know, wholeheartedly Mother Teresa, even though she's not really that nice of a person if you look at the history <laughs> kind of person. But it's still a great thing to be able to help someone else and be like, wow, this was easy. This was fun. Why I wouldn't you? I quite like the sound of Saint Ian. And I'm very curious about Mother Teresa now. <laughs> yeah. I just love it. Do your friends and family treat you any differently? Uh, no, I would be very angry if they did. That would get you in your anger stage of grief. It would, it would really <laughs> irritate me. Like, uh, I'm trying to think who does it, if anyone does it. Yeah, my dad didn't really handle the situation the right way and it was very annoying. I asked everyone in my family uh, post-surgery uh, like just put everybody into a big WhatsApp group. And so when I'm able to talk, I'll be able to, to able to talk to everyone in one go. 
So I'll be able to say, I'm fine. And like, I'm Irish. So I have a stereotypically gigantic family. I go to weddings and I have to talk to the cousins that I'm more close to. What's that cousin's name again? <laughs> but I thought that was Jerry. No, 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 that's Barry. And like, you know, <laughs> it goes on like that for hours. <clears throat> and um, so I wanted to be able to speak to my, uh, my family in uh, one sentence because I'd be able to physically write the sentences only at certain points. And my dad would keep talking to me uh, individually and asking questions. And I kept answering his questions in the larger family suit. And then it almost, because he kept messaging me, that no one else in my family would message the big group. So I kept having to write back or not write back to people because I just didn't know how to write. Uh, so this became this big individual thing. And it was like, keep trying to push everyone <laughs> back in, like, keep them all in one audience so I can go, I'm fine. And then go to sleep or whatever. <laughs> Sounds like sheep rearing, just trying to get everyone into the group. Just get everyone exactly, in. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So again, I'm picking hairs that that's, the only thing that anyone has done that uh, wound me up at all. Uh, outside of that, there's been very little difference, very little change. People have still made fun of me. I would be <laughs> deeply upset if that didn't happen. One of the, one of the lads was, uh, was saying, um, when did you, uh, did they actually know when you got this tumor? Because it would certainly explain a lot over your life. <laughs> that sounds like a really good friend. <laughs> Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, they always speak about, like, the regrets of the dying or the life lessons from the dying. And it used to be things like, you know, be happier, connect to something bigger than yourself, I don't know, speak your truth and things like that. Do you have, like, a big valuable life lesson that you've learned along the way? Um, my biggest regrets were always just, I'll start something up and I'll think, oh, I wish I had done this earlier. <laughs> like, but there are ju they're just things that, you know, it sort of takes your life to discover them. Um, setting up a YouTube channel for one example uh, that would have been great to have done ages ago because I wouldn't have had to work so hard to have like uh, get a, a get an audience because what we um, the reason that me and my housemate started one was based off of uh, we were doing something ourselves where we got three posters and one was for uh, albums one was for video games and one was for cocktails and the rules were that you um, use this. So like you assigned like A, B, C, D down this way. And then one, two, three up to 10. And so A1 would be here. A2 would be here. Three, four, five, B here, B line here. And so you'd have to go like C7 on the album, C7 on the game, C7 on the cocktail. And you would have to do all three at the same time even if it was a terrible match. And so <laughs> we were just doing that ourselves and it was a bit of fun. And uh, during it, I then thought we should just put a camera like just there and then start recording the videos and putting them up on YouTube. Because this is, if this is fun for us, it'd probably be fun for some other people as well. So why not? And um, after doing it, I realized that it's actually, there's a reason we didn't do it because it's, way harder than it looks <laughs> it looks like it's just camera there play the video game and then you'll blow it it's not it's significantly more tricky than that but um i look back and i think god i wish i was doing that you know 10 years ago that would have been that would have been really handy i wish i had uh 
played rugby all the way through high school instead of just three of the years, four of the years, four of the years, yeah. I wish I'd started Brazilian jiu-jitsu sooner, which I couldn't have anyway because it didn't become popular in Ireland for um, a significant period of time. And just loads of little things like that. I wish I had, you know, the information that I had now when I was 20, but it's like, there's no way that would have happened anyway because that's experience. That's what life is about. So I kind of... I daydream and I what if, but it's not real regret or lessons learned, that sort of thing. Yeah, and I can understand that because I don't really get regrets. <laughs> but because you're kind of wanting to change the past, aren't you? If you regret it. In a way, it. but then I wouldn't have learned from it either. Yeah, and I think everything's kind of experienced. And I think like what a lot of my dying patients said was they didn't regret the things they did do, they regretted the things they didn't. So like, you know, the opportunities yeah. they didn't take. Do you think that's true? Um, in terms of things that I didn't do, I think I've tried most of it. I don't think there's much. <laughs> this is probably bad advice now, but I think I would have <laughs> liked not. to have tried a psychedelic drug before I got um, <laughs> brain issues because now it's like, eh, it's not meant to be unhealthy for you now or when you've got a healthy brain, but maybe don't chance it when you... Uh, <laughs> Don't go off and do ayahuasca <laughs> if you have brain cancer. Probably not the best idea. <laughs> Unless you're raising money for charity. You never know. <laughs> yeah, here's, <laughs> this could completely re-chemicize uh, my head. Here, here we go. Let's do it live. <laughs> Coming to YouTube soon. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it probably exists somewhere. I'm, it, I'd imagine it also gets taken down because while it's not illegal to actually do that in Peru because it's a local substance, I'm pretty sure it would be interpreted as you're taking drugs on live on YouTube that children could see and be like, hey, I'll do that. Yeah. <laughs> Probably not into some dodgy looking guy on a corner near a house. Hey, do you have ayahuasca? <laughs> uh, yeah, sure. Here it is. <laughs> Give me money and take that. <laughs> no, maybe not. Maybe just stick to the albums and the cocktails. Perhaps not, yeah. <laughs> Bless you. I just love it. I mean, as I say, I used to work as a chemotherapy nurse for many years and worked with people at the end of life. And there was definitely a divide between those who got a diagnosis and would just be like, oh my God, that's it, I'm done. <laughs> and those with the most amazing human spirits, you know what I mean, that are just sort of like, not necessarily fight and overcome the cancer because, you know, it's a lot of, it is what it is, it's progressive. Um, yeah. But that what you're doing, that kind of like just really living your best life as best as you can. And I just love the positivity. And I really hope there's people out there living with illness and things like that. They just feel really inspired by you. Not the drugs. That's optional. But um, <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe. disclaimer. What's that, uh, that film, Little Miss Sunshine, where there's the, uh, the grandfather and he does heroin, but he's a, like he's a nice granddad. <laughs> And he's there and he's talking to his grandson. He's like, um, you'd be crazy to do it at your age. You'd be crazy not to do it at my age. So he's like <laughs> taking it, but advising his grandson, don't do this. This is bad for you. There's a time and a place for everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Bless you. So obviously we've got the, <laughs> got to try and get the words out. Cure cancer or try, what was it? Die trying. So how Cure can people- Cure cancer or die trying.com. Yeah. Oh dear. So. How can people support you? We need money. We need you to like, you know, leave your leg legacy and, you know, help this work for you. Yes. Yeah, so if you go on to the, uh, that's the, the website and then it has the connections to all the other 
uh, forms of social media, which uh, as I, when I started out, I would ask people, oh, what do you think is a good name for this? What do you think is a good name for that? And people would throw suggestions at me. And uh, the ones that I found funny or clever, I'd be like, oh, that's good. I'll use that. <laughs> and it was only at, like I made them all and then started trying to remind people what they were. And it was only when I was doing that that I realized it's a terrible idea because like, oh no, they're all different names. <laughs> so then that's where I came up with the um, the uh, the website because if you go on the website, you can see the Twitter, you can see the uh, the YouTube, you can see the Facebook. Uh, at, mo- at the moment, the, uh, the YouTube and the Facebook prof- uh, um, profiles are definitely the ones that I use the most. Uh, if you're on Twitter, they're just things that I've done on Facebook and YouTube that then get reposted. I don't really do much on Twitter other than that, but everyone uses their own thing usually. So whatever you follow, follow it there. Uh, but they're all like a completely different name. So like the uh, cancer, not can't sir is the Facebook one. And then uh, the email uh, which is only used for uh, uh, communication with people who I still haven't come up with a, a better way of saying it, but like business emails, it's not yeah. a business, but that sort of thing. Um, that's fighting cancer with cancer. And again, I was here thinking like, you know, this is so clever. This is such an <laughs> ironic, witty thing. Ha ha ha, aren't I great? And then afterwards, like, this is so impractical. Everything should have just been your name, you idiot, because then it would have been really clear and obvious. But uh, no, not me had to put my own thumbprint on it in some way my name wasn't clearly enough so uh yeah that's that's the easiest way and then if you go into the there's just giving pages that are listed and i don't get any of that money that goes directly to um the four charities that are all related to cancer research and the only reason that there's four is because it was i was thinking that it would be done through social media which can kind of pick up in all parts of the world that I have no control over whatsoever. So I may as well make it as appealing to a mass audience uh, as possible. So there's a research one in Australia, there's a research one in America, Ireland, and uh, the UK. So it's just, and again, same thing spreads out the currency. If you want to only donate in a certain currency, you've got the option of four. So uh, you just pick the one. I'm hoping that the Guinness World Records will mass that all together and say, okay, this was for four different charities, but you did raise this much money for four charities that are all collectively trying to do the same thing, which is cancer betterment in some regard. Bless you. So this is because this is what I want to do, Ian, if I'm honest. Where can we vote for what body organ you dress up as? Is that on the website? Oh, I'm not going as a, I might do it for a marathon. Uh, clearly it's got to be the brain. Surely it's got oh, to be the brain. Well, I don't know. I don't think you're an obvious kind of guy. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking well, like... Um, so the, the, the outfit that is uh, up for choice is a, a video game character. However, the thing is, is that I am gonna de- I'm going to have to limit the video game characters that are up for option because the, the marathon needs to be run faster than two hours, 57 minutes. That's the record that someone has for... Um, dressing up as a link from the uh, the Zelda games. And so I'm going to have to dress as something that is not going to be hard to run in. So probably some soldier or someone who doesn't wear a lot of clothes, but might have to, 
like the option is still there because it's England. It's England in April. So it could be quite hot or it could be like <laughs> bucketing rain or it could yeah. be freezing. It could be anything. Like, um, I think 2017 or 2018, it was snowing in March. So <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I think what I'm going to have to do is closer to the day uh, I'm going to have I speak to all the audiences, audience, audience eye or whatever way you want to think of it and uh, post up photos and be like, if you wanted to be this person, if you wanted to be that person, if you want to be that person over there, uh, you've got to um, auction it. So you've got to show yeah. with donations and whatever character gets donated the most, right? That's the one I'm going to be then tomorrow, hell or high water and see how that works. It could, it could massively backfire. But if I go as Pac-Man, there's no way I'm going to run that in like under three hours. <laughs> no way. I was kind of thinking like Sonic the Hedgehog because they're really quick, aren't they? It would certainly look good, but if I could actually do it, oh, I'd have to be super, like I'd have to be Sonic. I'd have to be so <laughs> fast to do it. But that maybe you could kind of get away with that, I think. If you just wore like a, a onesie that was blue and maybe some sort of a, a wig. That's not a bad option, thinking about it. White gloves. There you go, job done. It's a bit yeah. of a fine line. You might look like a Smurf. Yeah, it might, that's the other thing, though. Yeah. If I don't commit fully, I might end up looking crap. And then it's just <laughs> like, ah, he's not really dressed as a video game character. This is a, he looks like a bad Power Ranger rather than... Yeah. <laughs> Who's that piece of blue tack on legs? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, I think the person who I'm thinking of the most is um, someone called Solid Snake because they're a soldier. So they wear clothes that are suitable for running and not too much is needed to really make the character like, ah, that's that guy. I know that guy. <laughs> he just needs to wear an eye patch and a, um, a bandana and have sometimes have long hair sometimes not have so if this doesn't end up growing back i'm safe either way <laughs> and he dresses a load of different ways so i could go if the day is hot like this guy or if it's cold i could also there's like five games with this guy in it so there's there's options so you i do think yeah, that's my layers <laughs> yeah I, I think i will actually look up sonic though because that is just that's symbolic isn't it i won the race dressed as the fastest hedgehog <laughs> So it's like, well, of course I was going to beat Link. I'm the fastest one. <laughs> You'd have to go for it, wouldn't you? Yeah, I wouldn't have an option. Just be careful, because I'm thinking back now. I think, actually, when you see a lot of pictures of Mother Teresa, I think she wears blue and white. <laughs> she does, yeah, of course. <laughs> I'm so going to Google her when we're off this call. <laughs> I do. Ian Ward, you've been absolutely fabulous. You made me laugh so much today. Well, that's intention number one, always. Bless you. I just love your human spirit, your determination, and, well, just your humour's hilarious, which humour should be, obviously. But thank you so much. It's significantly darker, I should warn, on uh, all of them. I love a bit of, uh, what would you call it? Not so much. Think of Jim Jeffries. Think of Bill, Billy Connolly. Think of, uh, oh... Who else makes a good, awful? Um, who's the host of Eight of Ten Cats? Oh, Jimmy, Jimmy Carr. Carr. Jimmy Carr, yeah. Things no. like that, where it's just like, oh. Oh, no. He's got a weird laugh. 
He do and that laugh was invented as well. That's bizarre. <laughs> he used to not laugh like that. Is that I a true story? You could look it up. You could see, like, you know, in in like the first five years when he'd be on panel shows, he just wouldn't laugh. And then he had this ha 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 laugh that just came out of nowhere. And it was like, was this advice to you, Jimmy? Or did you just sort of get comfortable enough on television that you felt safe that you could finally laugh in front of people? Send it to me Google. It's got Mother Teresa down. Now I've got Jimmy Carr's laugh. <laughs> yeah, Jimmy Carr. Like, but look up Jimmy Carr, Jimmy Carr early days because he didn't laugh on his panel shows. <laughs> a bizarre character. Oh, I absolutely love it. <laughs> Bless you. Thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me on. If you enjoyed today's episode, please make sure you subscribe and leave a positive review. If you would like to create your own positive changes, you can buy Positive Changes, a self-kickbook from all online book retailers or from shellyfknight.com. If you need a dollop of positivity until the next episode, come like and follow us over on Facebook at Shelley F. Knight, Life Goes On. As always, I've been Shelley F. Knight and you've been amazing.